All right, we're back. Get comfortable. You're listening to Broker Talk. We're the number one weekly real estate podcast, and we're hosted by brokers with almost 50 years of experience in the real estate brokerage industry, including residential, commercial, investment, development, and marketing, including radio and television, magazines, books, websites, and, of course, podcasts. Your Broker Talk hosts today are Larry Lawfer and myself, Jim Lowenstern. Evan is on the soundboard. We're once again broadcasting from the very top of the Castles Unlimited Space Needle in Boston, Massachusetts. How are you doing today, Larry? I am uh, doing actually excellent today. We've got a great show. We've got uh, information about economic expectations, so let's get right into it. In the studio today, we have Craig Tanney. Now, he's got about a bazillion years of experience. Uh, I think it's 27 um, he is the vice president of Mortgage Equity Partners, and he has helped people to get in more than a billion dollars worth of uh, um, houses. So uh, let's invite Craig in today. Yeah, thank you, Larry. I'm happy to be here. I, um, I'm going to start by giving you my mortgage loan originator license. It's 142580. As it turns out, um, after Dodd-Frank, whenever we do any type of advertising or public announcements, um, to announce my loan originator's license. Um, it's another way to track originators. I will say that compared to retail banks and other originators that fall under federal charters, non-depository lenders have an extra oversight. It's a licensing through the division of banks, um, which enables us to originate <clears throat> mortgages. and. Um, it's state specific, so I'm licensed in Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, and Florida currently. Boy, I think uh, half of our audience just went to sleep on that. <laughs> yeah. So it's... now that we're through the boilerplate part, let's get to uh, actually talking about mortgages and uh, the differences in mortgages. Uh, one of the things I always say to clients is a mortgage is, is a product, like a pair of shoes. You like red shoes, you like high heels, you like uh, sneakers. Let's talk a little bit about the ver the variety of products that are out there. Absolutely. So uh, Mortgage Equity Partner specializes in first-time home buyer loans. We have six different types of first-time home buyer loans. Of course, there's veteran loans, VA loans, um, FHA loans, which uh, allow for as little as zero down payment. Um, we have lenders that you can borrow the three and a half percent down and they'll fund the 96 and a half percent of the purchase price. These loans um, go up to the Fannie Freddie conforming limits and that you know can change county to county depending on where we lend. But beyond the first time home buyer loans, uh, there's also conforming loans which go directly to Fannie and Freddie and loans that go beyond the Fannie Freddie limits are called jumbo loans and they are placed investor to investor through um, our, our relationships with mortgage equity partners. So for our audience, the Fannie and Freddie that we're talking about are uh, Fannie Mae approval and Freddie Mac approval. And why these are significant to people is um, because these loans get sold almost immediately after uh, the closing of your property and someone else then is going to service your loan. Why is that? Why do banks do that? Yeah, that's a great question. And the reason that um, loans are able to be sold off of banks or lenders' balance sheet is clearly just to 
free up more money so the bank can continue to lend without saturating their balance sheet with real estate loans. And, you know, we've been through a, I've been doing this for a long time. The last crisis was in 2008. It was a real estate crisis and a lending crisis. And it caused a big downturn in real estate nationwide. Um, at that time, you know, the government has a lot to do with Fannie and Freddie. They were taken over by the government at that time. They're still um, not private. They're public um, entities. And at the time, Obama made the um, eligible loans to go to Fannie and Freddie that pool even larger. So he took high cost areas across the United States and he drilled them down to counties and he made even higher loan amounts for certain counties. So we're here in Boston, any county that touches Boston, Middlesex, Essex, Norfolk, um, the higher loan limit, it's called a high cost loan limit, goes up to uh, $668,000 versus the regular conforming loan limit, which is 484,000. So in all of that information, um, you neglected to mention, you did say it was a real estate, uh, but it was really a lending issue because they were selling loans and that were non-conforming, that weren't Freddie and, and Fannie at that point. And those loans, uh, they were given uh, loans with no credit checks and things like that. And that is what crashed our economy. Well, um, yeah, you could say that the loans definitely were underwritten to a different standard than today. You know, today we have um, Dodd-Frank, which changed how we lend uh, in, the, in the residential lending world. And the guidelines today, are, I would say, are much stricter than they were before 2008. The problem was, you know, the, the, it made it sound like it's the mortgage broker's problem. And I'm not a broker, I'm a lender. But essentially, that's what we do. We place mortgages. And the, the real um, issue came in with they segregated loans that they verified income and assets along with other loans that they didn't verify yeah. the down payment. They bundled them. They bundled them together and they sold them all as AAA rated securities. Which they weren't. Which they were not. Um, and, you know, my history goes all the way back to, um, you know, 1992. In 1994 to 1995, I was issuing through Great Western Bank, a California savings and loan, no income verification loans. And at that time, they would go on the bank's balance sheet. They were not eligible to go to Fannie and Freddie, as an example. However, the metrics back then were sound for over a decade and a half. 70% loan to value, so it was only for owner-occupied loans. They have to put down a lot of money, you know, 20 to 25%. They have to live in the house, and they had to have acceptable credit, 700-plus credit scores. And if they met those criteria, we would do the loan for the borrower under a portfolio adjustable rate, an in-house loan, but we would not require their income taxes. And that kind of fell apart when real estate values starting going down as opposed to going up. So part of the real estate loan is the collateral. If the collateral is going up year upon year, it frankly gives the borrowers a, a lot of options. They can sell the house. They can potentially refinance it. You're building equity. Yeah, rather than, rather than um, you know, have the loan go bad. But when the real estate values goes down and they extended these loans, these no income verification loans and, you know, no asset verification loans um, to a much higher loan to value, meaning they, 
you could borrow up to 90% of the property value, not simply, you know, 75% or 70. So if you didn't check income and you didn't check assets and you loosen the credit criteria in terms of the credit score and the real estate value comes down, well, now you have a borrower that has no equity in the home and the values, um, you know, they're going to give the keys back but that, to the but bank. But that was only one of the problems. The other problem was the subprime loans were... That's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking adjusting, about. Adjusting, uh, so you get in at like 3.5%, let's say, and then six months or a year later, or at the most two years, you had different programs, but all of a sudden it jumped to 8 or 9%, and that's where people said, oh my God, we we now have to come up with another $1,500 or $2,000 a month. And they said, uh, no, we're not gonna do it. And then when they found out that their neighbors were being uh, put into special programs for modification to get new loans at a lower rate because they didn't pay their mortgage, it was a snowball effect. Yeah, well, um, part of that is definitely true um back then yeah, back then yeah this would never happen again right? yeah the modifications would happen if if fannie and freddie owned the loan they would be willing to modify it if you had an in-house loan like we did with a savings and loan that i was working with they um weren't subject to getting just modified but i have to say the loans had a variety of payment protections on them you know these are loans that you can ne- negatively amortize and they always made the start rate um, close to an interest-only payment, maybe just under an interest-only payment. So if you took advantage of the lowest possible payments on these option-arm loans, you're actually not reducing the principal. You're having something add to it every month, but they would have a modest payment cap year upon year. It was a 7.5% payment cap for these option-arms. So if your payment was $1,000, it would simply go to 1075 as your minimum in year two. And we're where you didn't have a payment cap was going into year five. It would re-amortize every five years, and then you could be forced with a big payment increase. So, so let's let's jump forward to today, uh, because that that was yesteryear, and th- these kinds of mistakes, we'll make new mistakes. <laughs> we won't be doing well, that again. Well, are we making similar yeah. mistakes now? So, are are we back to having programs where people don't have to show income? Great question. Example? Great question, and. You know, so since 2008, they did a, has a. There's been a lot of legislation around mortgage lending. You know, Dodd Frank um, kind of dictated how mortgage lending will take place going forward. They changed the disclosures in terms of what consumers see from the beginning of the process to the end of the process, and they outlawed negative amortization loans. So you can't have what's called a qualified residential mortgage, which is a definition that Dodd-Frank put in place to make the loan eligible to go to Fannie and Freddie, the secondary market otherwise. So you can't originate a negative AM loan and and sell it to Fannie and Freddie. And that's what banks need and lenders need to get the loans off their balance sheet so they can continue to lend. So those loans are not available now. You You can also not have loans with prepayment penalties. You can have certain adjustable mortgages. You can have a 3-1, a 5-1, a 7-1, a 10-1 arm. These are loans with 30-year amortizations, but the rate's locked for the initial five, seven, or 10 years in my example, and then 15 and 30-year fixed. So they've limited the options that for a qualified residential mortgage that can go to Fannie and Freddie. Now, what we're seeing today are hedge funds, okay? So the, a hedge fund is a bunch of investors. They get together and they decide how they're gonna lend. Called a REIT, right? 
Um, a REIT actually invests in real estate. So these lenders don't necessarily invest in real estate. What they do is they have different qualifications for borrowers to buy out homes. And they can have no income verification loans because they're not selling them to a secondary market. And they'll come up with whatever metrics works for them. So I have investors that now will do loans based on cash flow. So you can provide 12 to 24 months business tax returns or 12 to 24 months personal tax returns. They'll look at your deposits once they take out any uh, interbank um, transfers. And they'll look at the money and they'll say, well, based on this history of deposits, we'll lend you so much money. And they'll use that as an income source versus income taxes. Kind of really important for some self-employed people, which have the benefit of writing off all kinds of things. Um, and some of these loans, like I say, are very viable and they can be really um, well-performing loans given the right circumstance. So we are seeing those loans come back into the market. Um, once you're outside of the residential arena, if you're talking about commercial loans, there is Dodd-Frank does not apply, okay? So Dodd-Frank right. is only for the uh, consumer getting a loan as they're yeah. so, so, residential, right, exactly. Okay. Great, can you talk about, for example, what kind of no income verification loans you have now available with products? Yeah, so the products are also gonna be either adjustable or fixed. And the biggest difference here is since you're not meeting the most competitive uh, outlet to source the money, Fannie or Freddie, the rate is gonna be a lot higher, okay? So you can go with 20% down on um, an asset-based loan where they're taking your bank statements versus your tax returns. And, and you know the rates today are less than 4%. But if you go this route, we're not going to go to your income taxes. And you're going to go to the hedge fund to get your mortgage. The rate's going to be seven, seven and a half percent. So it's going to be a higher rate. There will be a prepayment penalty on it. It'll be one to three years. Okay. So they're, they're more like a common sense type of underwriting. And from a business standpoint, there kind of has to be a higher rate on it because the investor. It's more risk. There's more risk and the investor has to get paid something for their risk. Um, and it's filling a void, but this is certainly... It's, low, it's lower than hard money. It's lower than hard money, but it is definitely a step towards what we had. Now, the difference between today's environment where Fannie and Freddie are not allowing these type of loans, but investors are choosing to do them on their own merit, is they're not getting cross-collateralized and securitized in the same asset base and sold to, to the Wall Street, basically, and going into you know, pension funds and everything else. So what should happen is the regular full income verification loans, which is definitely a pretty tried and true way to underwrite and predict the performance on a mortgage. They're called, being called conventional. Oh, conventional, meaning yeah. they meet the secondary market requirements. Exactly. Fannie, they could be sold to Fannie and Freddie. Exactly. And, and that those loans um, are not being cross collateralized with these other loans that they're not checking. And they're not doing the same uh, criteria in terms of underwriting. Do those loans uh, have lower interest rates with higher down payments? They have reasonable down payments, even as low as 10%, given the right, right profile. But, but going the other way, there's less risk to the investors. If someone put 50% down, for example, Correct. is the rate lower? Yes. Okay, yeah. so they yeah. have different programs. They, they do have different programs, and they are um, risk-based to the extent that they are going to check credit. like. They should on every loan. And, and high credit scores, really good credit profiles will get better deals, just like Fannie and Freddie. Than Are you doing many of these uh, these days? Um, 
I like to have the option to do these loans, and I have done some. It's not my mainstay. Um, if you if you cover a territory west of Boston, uh, I have a pretty highly qualified clientele, I'd say. So most of my borrowers qualify simply based on their income. And of course, my job is to sort through all the possible options and just give the client the best possible rate. Mm -hmm. So if they can qualify with their income, of course, I'm going to analyze their taxes and go that way. I think a lot of times the uh, the people that are coming in for loans don't realize that there's so many products. Do you uh, talk to them about, you know, an arm, which is an adjustable rate versus a fixed rate, which, you know, has one rate and it's stuck forever. And what about FHA? FHA is another and VA is, but, you know. Yeah. So our zero down payment loans, okay, are FHA loans. And there are actually two loans. You get uh, a loan for what would you can put down three and a half percent down if you had the money and that could be gifted to you and an FHA loan. You can borrow the 96 and a half percent and, and buy a house. But there is a entity that'll give you the three and a half percent. You pay them back with interest over time and you literally can buy a house with no money down. And that's available right now today. FHA insures these loans. And I'm going to try to say this politely. Um, FHA is not in firm footing and it's, it's, primarily based on the reverse mortgages. Who, who is FHA? Federal Housing Authority. So federal. So, so that is government. It is government, yeah. And they um, they insure the loans, both for reverse mortgages and these first-time homebuyer loans. And the loan, and they do loans that don't meet Fannie and Freddie's criteria. Okay, so we, we first run the loan, a scenario through our origination system. If we can get it to approve on a conforming basis, the client gets a much better rate and they don't have to pay a lot of extra costs that are associated with an FHA loan. The, the extra costs are there's an upfront, it's called MIP, Mortgage Insurance Premium. And right now that's 1.75%. So you, if your loan is 100,000, you're gonna pay you know $1,750 just in this uh, premium. They allow it to just be added onto your loan so it doesn't affect the loan to value. That's an annual rate or a one-time? That's a one-time rate, okay. but in addition to that, you're gonna pay PMI, which is a monthly rate. And on an FHA loan versus a conforming loan, you never have the option of getting the PMI out of the loan. Say that again. Very important. So if someone qualifies for an FHA program and they can't get the conventional loan because they don't qualify but due to credit score or not having money or have it gifted and it's not allowed, something like that, they have to take um, a loan with an upfront MIP and an ongoing PMI payment. So the PMI along with the upfront MIP kind of pays the insurance that's um, required for that type of loan according to FHA. And so what I heard is you don't get rid of that. Most of the time the PMI goes away after you have 20% equity. Yeah, so, and the rules are slightly different now. So if you have a conventional loan with PMI, meaning you put less than 20% down when you bought a home, you can get rid of the PMI after two years, okay? And on a conventional loan, there is no upfront MIP. So you save that 1.75% right out of the box if you can go just conforming. After two years, your two things would happen, presumably. The house will go up and down in value. Okay, here in Boston, we have a very good real estate market and we have consistent appreciation. So I would expect that to continue based on the metrics that we see. And you're gonna pay the loan down to some extent, just through the regular amortization, and maybe you made extra payments or something. So after two years, if you can show the servicer that you have 
22% equity, okay, you can eliminate the PMI. Right. And that's important because I do, I do these doctor's loans and there's, there, we call them doctor's loans. Doctors make, you know, they starve for all these years as they're going through their residency and all of a sudden their income quadruples and they're making two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000, but they didn't have um, the ability to save money because they were going to school and maybe taking loans to do that. And so a doctor's loan is a loan with a really low down payment, but we fund a high loan amount. And, you know, advertising is, hey, there's no, we, we do these loans with 10% down with no PMI. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you on the podcast here, there's always PMI. It's just how it's priced. So you could pay a one-time upfront premium and have no PMI for the life of your loan, even with 10% down. You can pay something upfront and lower the premium over the life of the loan. Or I can add a premium to your interest rate to cover that PMI and you won't have a separate PMI payment. And, and this is great for some doctors because PMI is only tax deductible if you make up to $107,000 a year, and the doctors are probably making more, more than, than that. that. So mm-hmm. they can deduct the interest, depending on the size of their loan, up to $750,000, um, but the PMI otherwise wouldn't be deductible for them. Okay, so uh, Broker Talk is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers. Online, go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. And we also have a um, question from one of our listeners. Ellen Rockert Johnson from Atlanta, Georgia asks, um, I am a first-time home buyer, and I want to buy a fixer-upper. I will be putting down about 10% toward the selling price. What's the best mortgage program today for someone like me? Great question, Jim. And it is 100% going to depend on the property and the borrower. So you mentioned first time or a fixer-upper. We have what's known as 203K rehab loans. And a rehab loan is... That's an FHA product. Uh, yes. So, 203K. Yeah, yeah. There, there's This is a product... Um, we actually have one originator that just specializes in, in our company because, and he used to be a HUD inspector. So when you go for this type of loan, and I'm just going to make a scenario, let's say the kitchen was just needs to get redone and it needs a roof. Okay. So you're buying this house, it's 300 grand, but you know, right out of the box, you need 75,000 for the kitchen and, and, and the, uh, and the roof in my example. Well, we can have a, have the, borrower and HUD inspector come together, find out the costs and those things, we can actually finance a house based on that improved value as if the work Repair was done. Repaired value. Repaired value with a new roof and a brand new kitchen. We can appraise it. We can find out what it's worth. And we can lend money 90% up based on that improved value. And what will happen is we're going to fund the improvements right up front. The borrower's not going to get all the money up front. They're going to have to hire a contractor to do the work. A HUD-approved contractor. A HUD-approved contractor. And there is a HUD inspector that's going to make sure the contractor's work is exactly what it should be. And they will fund the kitchen improvement, the roof improvement, until your loan is fully funded. And then, and around, I mean, around Boston, if you find a property that's limited marketability because it needs all these improvements, you clearly can make some value work, right out of the works, box. Yeah. yeah, the tough part is finding those properties. Some and, some and, of the other issues with with FHA loans are peeling paint, cracked windows. If you don't have railings on on the steps, uh, if the steps aren't um, 
approved if they're too short, too tall, which happens in Cambridge, as it happens in Newton. Well, the question is, uh, so Ellen's in Atlanta. Is it same kind of programs are available? Oh, yes. Yeah, these are nationwide programs. So you can you can get these programs in Atlanta. You, you know, the first thing for anybody who is um, a first-time buyer, obviously they haven't gone through the process before, is simply talk to a qualified um, loan officer and get pre-approved for the mortgage. You know, our pre-approval process is we soup the nuts. We do absolutely everything we do when we're going to take a loan. Are you writing loans in Georgia? Um, we just bought a company, and we are writing loans in Georgia. Okay. Um, so Ellen can... Get in touch with Craig uh, yeah. for her loan. Sure. Why not? So, yeah. how, um, so how do you I, get paid? How, how does a mortgage broker uh, earn money from, did you get paid uh, like royalties? Like every time we make a payment every month, you get a, a little check? That sounds awesome. <laughs> and um, it's and not how it works, unfortunately, but that, that does sound like a great plan for a guy like me. However, um, yeah, so Dodd-Frank, separates brokers from lenders okay so there is still a broker channel the broker channel is a predetermined price with a lender so if i wanted to do business with immigrant bank out of new york city we would have our client sign a fee agreement craig tanny's going to get paid a half of a percent of the loan amount to place the mortgage with immigrant now in that circumstance the, in, the lender, the actual lender, does all the disclosing on the loan. They do the underwriting on the loan. They um, do the closing disclosure and ultimately fund the loan. And at that situation, I would just get paid a fee. I don't really do any brokering anymore. We decided as a company that if you can't control the loan disclosures, the underwriting, the turn times, basically the service level, you can't give predictable um, service to your clients. Yeah. So what we are is a local lender. So we fund all our loans in house. You don't sign a fee agreement with mortgage equity partners or Craig Tanny. We get paid off of basically the profitability of the loan when it funds, just like bank of America, chase us bank, any other lender that lends, um, on real estate. So it's, it's simply, it's called the surplus reserve premium. There's a cost to originate. There, um, the way the loan is priced is our pay is included in that rate. So, so break it down. Let's say it's a million dollar loan, and it's X interest, and it's uh, let's say it's a fixed rate thirty year. There's a back end. Talk talk about that. How, how does because any anybody that hasn't been in the business does not understand. How yep. you're getting where the money's coming from, basically. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So as a, as a, as a company, as a local lender, I have eight different jumbo investors. Okay. A, a million dollar loan would be a jumbo loan because that goes beyond the Fannie and Freddie. Isn't it six seventy five? This is where jumbo starts, or is it seven fifty? So Th there's a number. There is a number, and the number is actually four hundred eighty four thousand is the conforming loan limit for a single family. However, there's a higher loan limit for two families. There's, a, again, a higher loan limit for three families and, again, a higher loan limit for four families. And after <clears throat> President Obama in 2008, through one of his stimulus packages, opened up high-cost loans, there's a higher loan limit county by county across the country than that 484, okay? 
So it's um, 688,000. Here is the high cost limit, like I said, for single family residences that touch Boston. So to get back to Jim's question, you, I have a bunch of different investors. So I, I need to check credit score, down payment, what type of property it is. You know, it's almost too much information just to assimilate myself. So we have a, what's called a pricing engine. The pricing engine does a lot of stuff for us. All our investors feed into it, their rates, their programs, their guidelines. I go through several screens. What's your credit score? How much money's for down payment? What do you have in, for retirement? What do you have for reserves? What are your other expenses? Um, your work history, all these things play in. And what comes out the other end are the eligible lenders that will lend to that client with that particular profile which is great because if I worked for one bank and I had one set of rules, I would have a smaller uh, amount of options in terms of where I would possibly go with the mortgage. And so having a pricing engine and multiple investors behind the scenes is great from a consumer standpoint because we simply can provide more options. And that is exactly why uh, most agents suggest to go to a loan uh, originator like yourself versus a Bank of America, Chase, uh, Wells Fargo, any of these banks where you are stuck with one of their products. Yeah, and you know, I, so I worked for Chase for a year. Um, I worked for another large bank for 18 years before we started Mortgage Equity Partners. I've been here 10 years. And so, so Chase was a great example. You know, I was there right after, in 2008, right, right as this crisis was going on, and I can say, that they could not get out of their way in terms of doing loans. They had their own clients that had 5% rates and the rates had come down so much. You know, you could get a 3.5% 30-year fixed, 90, 120 days to process that loan. And it, in today's world, two weeks, done. Right. You know, so, so, but through that process, you know, you have to realize, so Bank of America took on all Countrywide's loans, Chase took on all Washington Mutual's loans, these institutions were chock full in terms of real estate loans. They were swamped. They were swamped. Without an outlet to get them off their balance sheet, what's their option? It was basically to stop the presses, okay? We don't need any more at there, this there time. Was, there was a year or two. If it wasn't a cash offer, serious cash, you know, not no mortgage contingency cash offer, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. Right. No one was lending. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And So that's probably why you you started the company or yep. you, you, you guys had no choice. You're in the business and the people in the business aren't doing the business anymore. Somebody has to do the business, right? It's, it's very true. That's, so that's was the main, main yeah, reason yeah, we started a company is we simply had to survive, right? So, um, so okay, so that um, million dollar loan I was talking about, do you make the same amount of money pretty much on all of them? Or it depends on great question. Yeah. the program, the interest rate, the the, the score of the, uh, uh, the FICO score of the borrower. Yeah, so the lenders actually price the loans differently given different profiles. So lower credit scores, there's what's called loan level price adjustments. So th there is different pricing, not set by the local lender, but actually by Fannie and Freddie and the institutional investors that buy the mortgages and service them. There is, um, there's what's called LO comp, loan originator comp as part of Dodd-Frank. So we have a predetermined commission schedule and 
we cannot deviate that. And there's also a limit in how much you could possibly get paid on a loan. So the margins actually are different for the most competitive loans are the really the, the jumbo loans, the big, big ones. And, and today I can say that I'll just use Bank of America because it's the biggest bank around here. Uh, they offer huge incentives to get your deposits, an equity line in your house, a car loan, your retirement. They want the investments in addition to the mortgage. So they want all these channels and they're willing to, to give you a better rate if you're taking all these channels. And I think that's awesome for the consumer. The problem is that they've never really gotten their talent back that they let go, you know, eight years ago. You know, they, they cut their sales force down to the bone and they don't get paid 100% commission anymore. They're paid a salary, so they kind of get paid whether they do their job or not. So, so on, a, on a percentage, uh, in, you know, if, if you tell me this is personal, so I'm not going to go there, but million dollar loan, what do you what do you make on average on average i would say a loan originator on average is going to get paid you know and, and again i can only speak from our comp plan okay so this is different for different investors but you know half of a point of 35 basis points you know so 3500 to five thousand dollars as an originator if you're doing that type of business um and again the each originator is going to have a plan with their employer that determines how they price and they can't deviate from that. You can make less, you can't make more. So if I just said 5,000 on the upper end, there, there's, there's institutions that say the most you can get paid on a loan is 3,500 bucks. So I could do a loan for $10 million. I'm still only going to pay 3,500 bucks. Wow. You know what I mean? So that, that comp is built into every licensed LO that doesn't own the company. If you own the company, you actually have more latitude. And, and there's some discretion there. So I know we're going over time. But, yeah, but, I just noticed and, and, that. And we, and we have a million questions for Craig. Uh, w one more, um, and then, then we'll wrap up. Uh, so online lending has probably picked up over the last... Like Rocket and ten, ten those years, kind of things. Second sure. loan and oh, yes. you, you name it. Somebody, probably you guys are doing it too, right? We, we are, yeah. So... So part of my signature is not only my, here's my profile, here's my LinkedIn, here's our company website, it's apply now. So they literally can go on and go through it all. We have a bot, you can literally sit on your phone and fill out the information and just go at it that way. Ultimately, the difference is it comes back to a licensed originator, someone who has a self-interest in getting that loan done for the borrower. And I don't know what the deal is with like a quick end because I only pick up the problems from those folks. You know, I have heard a lot of statistics as I've gone through the business, you know, in terms of what percentages actually get approved without going through a regular underwriting processing and some interaction with a loan officer. And it's not a huge percentage, you know, it's less than 10% that actually get like auto approved. It's the, uh, you know, really low uh, loan amounts compared to the property value with really high credit scores. and. So there, there is some examples, I'm sure, that that just works great. I mean, I, I personally can't even imagine doing business with my computer for my house. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. There's no person to call up. Right, it's sure, like, true. hello, I, computer, there's a, right. where's my loan? Well, in this day and age where, you know, everything's been hacked, the IRS has been hacked, the Pentagon has been hacked, you know, Experian's been hacked, every credit card company, you, you know, is it really safe just to send your all your personal financial life? And it's a deep dive. Your taxes for two years, all your statements on your assets, you know, picture your license. If you have mortgages, we want your statements. 
we're going to do checks, you know, in terms of the registry of deeds, make sure what other properties you own. So there's a ton of personal information and to send it kind of just through the internet is a little scary to me. Um, I'm, people do it with us and I know the safeguards that we have. We have a closed system, permanent IT guys. I mean, but it's always changing and there's always someone trying to break in. It's, it's a little scary. Um, the, ultimately, the loans that we do need personal attention. They need someone to champion them through to answer all the questions, to help the borrower. If there's explanations, you know, we, we help them and facilitate the transaction. That's ultimately what we get paid for. There is, um, I went through a heyday in this business. We're not in a heyday. What I do now is basically really hard work. Um, and it, and it changes, it changes all the time. Sometimes guidelines will loosen. Maybe they're getting, well, you should get a real estate license because it's wicked easy. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I sympathize with you guys. Exactly. Because I know all the emotions that go into buying a house as well. We don't get paid until we get something done. And there's so many times that, uh, I had another deal that the woman said she was going to buy. I brought her six buyers, six buyers. One of them was at asking and that, which was a great price. She decided she didn't want to sell, so all the money that was sent, spent. I'm not. I'm not whining here. The, yeah. It's just part. Yes, of the you business. are. No, it's just part of the business. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, I'm raising my hand. I know everyone can see me, but that's the same way it is with the mortgage business. Right. So we ultimately get paid. I'm a 100% commission sales agent. When the loan successfully closes, that's, that's when you get. That's your the only time we get yeah. paid, and the only thing that makes it work for me is we do a good job. We satisfy people's needs. And they refer me to other clients, and that's 100% of my business. So, um, but you're, you're well, right. I'll do the ad for you. If anybody's out, out there wants to get a loan, you really should call Craig Tanny. And well, that, that's I, the end I, of it. And and by just, law, just, the just buyer and by law, the buyer's agents have to recommend three people. So it's not just Craig, but you know, Craig's a great one. He's the only one. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so we're going to wrap. Uh, Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. That was a great show. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Jim. Hit Thank him with you, the Evan. mine. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs>